0: What Should I Think About is a podcast with me, Celine, and my dad, Stephen. We talk about burning issues in media, politics, and science. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the What Should I Think About podcast. I'm Celine.
1: I'm Stephen.
0: And today we're going to talk about a book. It's kind of like a, a book review. Kind of.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe.
0: Well, it's a book and we're talking about it, so I would suggest it's a book review.
1: (laughs) Okay, it's The Cult of Trump by Stephen Hassan. The full title is The Cult of Trump, a leading cult expert explains how the president uses mind control. Um, Yeah, so this is a book I got at Christmas, one of my Christmas presents. Um, I did threaten I was going to talk about this on the podcast on Twitter. So here we go, here it is.
0: Mm. Just jumping in. Mm. It says how the president uses mind control. Um, Straight away, I'm kind of like Trump using mind control. (laughs) Um, Is such a thing possible? Like, I know that he obviously. I I suppose maybe it's important to clarify where we are in time and space right now.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's it's quite interesting actually. Um, Yeah, so we're just we're what three or four days after. The insurrection attempt by some Trump supporters. Um, they stormed the Capitol building. And, um, yeah, the rest is history, obviously, um, and will be talked about, I'm sure, in history classes for a long time to come. Yeah,
0: and it's currently the talks are about if he should be impeached yeah. in these couple of weeks prior to um, Biden coming in. Or,
1: or um, invoke the 25th Amendment, which mm-hmm. basically means that they kick him out. Yeah. Um, before then hmm. and
0: and if he's impeached basically i think people um, are saying why does it matter now but people are saying it would stop him running in 2024 yeah. yeah so obviously that's where we are currently
1: that's the point in time we're at yes that's right um so uh, actually that now you've said that it just reminds me of uh, the second to last paragraph in his book i'm just going to get that now right okay so i'll just read you the second to last paragraph in the book Cult leaders do not relinquish power. If Trump runs again and is not re-elected in 2020, he might claim that the election was rigged. Who knows what he might call on his followers to do in that case. Mm-hmm. Now, I guess he's not the only one who who predicted that no. and in some respects it's the most unsurprising, mm-hmm. although shocking thing to have seen in the Trump presidency, but it is interesting, isn't it, that yeah, that's, that's obviously this book was written a long time before the these events. events, yeah, yeah. and yeah, that was, yeah, a good question even then.
0: Yeah, I think it, to me it's not surprising and I think it is very in keeping with his mm. usual Twitter rhetoric anyway, it's just, yeah, this time it led to violence.
1: So I suppose before I start, I, I should talk a little bit about, um, you know, where I'm coming from with the book. So... Um, if you're listening to this, you've probably heard earlier podcasts which talk about my own personal experience of being brought up as a Jehovah's Witness. Um, Jehovah's Witnesses are generally considered to be a cult. Mm. Um, And so that's kind of, I'm interested in that subject. I'm interested in that area. I I was born into that. Stephen Hassan, the writer of this book, became one of the moonies for two and a half years. and um, When he was 19, he was recruited. So he also has an experience um, in, that, uh, in that world. Um, I've studied psychology for the last eight years at undergrad, and then I've done a master's in organizational psychology. So my I'm coming at it from a, a kind of organizational psychology perspective, um, a lot of experimental psychology, a lot of um, qualitative stuff around organisations and how they work, which, of course, includes how people are manipulated and influenced and their feelings of identity and, and all of that is very much included in that. Um, Stephen Hassan comes at it from a slightly different perspective. He's um, he's an expert in um, therapy and um I guess it's a more therapeutic approach he's taking. So we kind of come at it from slightly different, although it's all psychology, um, psychology is such a broad church, to use that word, that, um, you know, you can you can study psychology and talk to another psychologist and not really have any or much of a base to work with because no. they're so different. Depends
0: really. on what you're interested in because a lot of, mm. um, just from my experience with my friends that, did psychology because i was friends with a lot of people mm. a lot of my friends at uni were psychology students yeah. and um they were kind of split into two groups um where there was the ones that wanted to pursue like um therapy and helping mm. people like working directly with people and then there was um, the people that wanted to work um experimentally in on academic stuff like running experiments and writing academic papers and so on yeah so um yeah, and veins. I
1: guess we could go into another rabbit hole here really, but um I think it is relevant because from a therapy perspective, from a therapeutic perspective, you're really interested in um when things go wrong, if you like. In pathologies, you're always everything you see, every phenomena you're looking at is really about right this this is something's gone wrong here. How can we help the person? to put that right or to think differently or to have a more healthy way of approaching this or so on and so on. So you're always looking at it from that lens. Whereas uh, my experience is, is not so much on the therapeutic side. We're not necessarily looking at when things have gone wrong. We're just trying to understand the psychology of human beings, how, how people think, how people make sense of their environment through cognition and through making sense of the world and through Communication through language, so it's not about pathology. It's not about necessarily when things go wrong. It's just simply how the human beings work. How are they wired? So that might be at the heart of some of the disagreements I have with the book. Although I, I would say to start with, it's a great book. Buy it. Um, I found it really interesting, and yeah, it's obviously a book I will refer to again and again. Um, but I do have some issues. With some of the ideas, but I think that could be because we come from kind of different um, wings of, of psychology, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I suppose my my first the point I would make first is that I hear um, Trump and Trumpism called a cult quite a lot. Um, normally, from obviously always from detractors of Trump, and it's sort of a, a vituperative um, disparagement of of um, him of Trump and it's kind of of his followers as well so it's it's a bit of an insult isn't it to to call trumpism a cult and people that hate trump and hate what he stands for um and hate what he's done and he's doing then it's 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 a, a way to express that um that feeling of of you know how you feel about him so i understand that and i've probably done the same because obviously i'm not a trump fan
0: <laughs> no i think yeah the the term cult is is kind of equally used as just like slang for disliking a group and and being like well they're cults yeah as it is a useful term
1: and this this actually reflects a wider question about the word the use of the word cult anyway i mean it's 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 still unresolved within psychology whether it's a useful term really and in fact most most psychologists I read don't really use that term anymore. They might use new religious movements. If it's damaging, they might call it a totalitarian relationship. Um, high control group is perhaps easier to use. I think Hassan uses that himself. Um, so the word cult comes with a lot of baggage and so it has quite a lot of emotional yeah. intent behind I
0: think it. with recent interest in stuff like at the same time there's been an uprise of interest in true crime and cult stuff. Yeah, we're all fascinated so by cults. Yeah, and and just I don't know, like um a, a morbid interest in these mm. sort of things. Um I think in the same way that people sit and watch true crime yeah. stories is kind of the same vein with cults. Definitely. Um so it's kind of more of a pop term almost now and like a genre of it is. something. I, and
1: I think it 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 kind of it fools us into thinking we know what this thing is. So, um, the book talks about Jim Jones cult, um, where you know over nine hundred people kill themselves in Guyana. Um, is that the Jonestown? Yeah, Jonestown yeah. massacre. Um, I mean, when you when you see that, there's some footage that um, you, you can see of, of the aftermath of that incident, and it's just. It's so. It's so hard to get your head around that. Just I don't know. The word cult seems to help to understand. Oh, it's a cult. That's what. That's what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, there are dangers that underneath that we're not really understanding what's happened, and that if that's a cult, is that the same phenomenon as um, Jehovah's Witnesses, and is that the same phenomenon as trumpism and if we call all of those things cults um, then there is a risk that it kind of in the end doesn't really mean anything and that's one of the criticisms i have of the book um, and the the idea in general because actually what this book is doing is it's it's going beyond just just a a way of of uh, criticizing trumpism by calling it a cult it's actually making a claim and the claim is that Trump and Trumpism is a cult because it has the elements in it that you would expect to see in a cult. So it's it's a categorizing of this phenomenon. It's saying this is a cult. So if you're going to make a claim like that, then obviously you need some evidence. And the book does that. So the book presents evidence to back up that claim that Trumpism is a cult, so I'll talk a bit about some of those things. So yeah so what what evidence does uh, does the book present for us? Well, first of all, it refers to the Bite model. So this is Stephen Hassan's own uh, model to identify and then perhaps to target areas of of undue control. It's kind of a checklist, if you like, to identify. Whether something's a cult or not, because mm. he makes the point that not all organisations are cults, not all religious organisations are cults. So how do you differentiate? So the bite model is the thing that he um, he's kind of adapted over over the years. Um, bite stands for behaviour control, information control, thought control, and emotion control. So yeah, so the idea is that yeah, does an organisation try to control people's behavior Um, does it try to control the information that somebody has does it try to control or does it control even their thinking so um, using things like thought stopping techniques to get rid of doubts if you like or uh, that sort of thing Um, emotion control so does it actually control people's emotions and and uh, in in various different ways Um, and he looks at a kind of continuum if you like um, on that bike model so at at one extreme you've got extreme behavior control you know i suppose you could describe the chinese um, prison camps going back to the original work that was done on courts as that, so they control everything about you, you know you when you could eat, when you could drink, when you could sleep, when you could stand, sit, everything about your behaviour they controlled um information control, yeah, you know, you're not able to have any contact with the outside world, no access to newspapers, anything like that, um, and they would um try to convince you that you know just thinking certain things were dangerous and were Wrong and so on um and obviously they controlled your emotions by sometimes um uh, making you feel like you had a, a bit of an ally and then taking that ally away or um yeah so there was
0: I mean, it's the same window of career isn't it
1: yeah exactly and and you know that that's often been described as a as a state cult mm. um so there we we you know we have another example if you like of a large sort of, of, of scale, a, yeah. Mm. Um, so that's that's the bike model, and that's referred to quite a lot. I think it's a really useful little model. Whether it's um,
0: actually usable for large scale, or...
1: and and my, again, I'm back to the the slight problem I have with because it's on a, a dimension or a scale with one end being you know undue control, like the prison camps in China or perhaps North Korea. And on the other end, you've got just kind of general influence that people might have over each other, like, you know, um, come and be my friend or buy my washing powder. You know, these are fairly benign things, but they're still influence. We're still trying to influence everybody or people all the time. You know, if you want somebody to meet you at three o'clock rather than two o'clock, at that point, you're trying to influence them. Um, If you want them to support your project or um, donate to your GoFundMe campaign you know, you're know you trying to influence them aren't you so, but that would be considered to be okay but because essentially you've got a scale here where where on that scale, where on that dimension does it start to become unhealthy or dangerous and I don't think you necessarily have to have a point but that's one of the difficulties with then using the byte model as a way to identify cults because there is a chapter in the book which lists all the different ways that behavior control can happen and information control so on Um, and it's such a comprehensive list that yeah I would say every organization every workplace every club every family is engaged in these types of influence and The only difference will be the degree to which that happens and the ethics behind it, I suppose, the intent behind it. Um, So, yeah, again, you start to lose the value of that model because it's so all-encompassing that essentially what you're describing here is a social phenomenon that is part of what society is. It's kind
0: of like horoscopes, isn't it? If you have, you know, how they're vague enough that they could apply to anyone, but specific enough that it feels like it's about you.
1: <laughs> yeah, and in a way, once you've got that in your, you know, one of the things that, that Hassan talks about, which is really interesting, is how you know, at various points he recognizes things. Um, it could be in Trump, he also talks about NLP, which we'll get to, but he recognizes things in those systems, if you like, that really remind him of what happened when he was in the Moonies mm. um and the methods they would use. And there is a there is a um uh, phenomena that kind of means that you know once you've once you see something, you, you see it everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um and that if I worry a little bit that we might be doing that, you know. So if if you're interested in cults like I am, um like a lot of people are and there are some specific elements that you've identified, then, yeah, there is a risk that you're going to be seeing them in everything. Um, and that's, again, one of the slight concerns I have about describing Trumpism as a as a cult. Mm. Um, there's other references that, that the book uh, makes. There's Lifton's work, which I've already mentioned, which was the work on brainwashing that he did um, on prisoners of war who were generally Europeans or Americans who ended up in Chinese prisons um and they they engaged in months worth of often brutal um torture and um manipulation to try and convince people that you know capitalism was wrong and communism was right and even after they'd left some of them still parroted some of these ideas mm-hmm. um but again it feels to me like a very different thing interestingly though robert lifton writes a uh a bit on the blurb for the book so he's obviously you know very much into it although i haven't interviewed him to find out if there's any areas he disagrees with but it feels to me quite different um, he also relates to margaret singer an, another very important name in this field um, she tends to talk about mind control um, as a way of describing what's happening and he also references MK ultra which was the CIA projects um, during the Cold War where they're experimenting with psychotropic drugs LSD for one um, how to kind of control people and you know do all sorts of um, that's pretty, a really dodgy experiment very dodgy <laughs> like
0: am um, was it part of this where they had they put them in rooms and full of lsd and they were like oh the whole world's like been destroyed and you've got to do so like they were just like completely like yeah. messed with their brains mm. and like people came out messed up for, well for a long like time yeah. slash forever because they were um
1: it was at the time when there was this idea that you know psychology could become a science like physics i suppose mm. or chemistry where you know you knew exactly how to manipulate people uh one floor of the cuckoo's nest is a mm-hmm. good example of mm. the idea that you could program somebody in that way
0: star trek did it yeah <laughs> they you know those people that have been turned into like war machines and they didn't have a plan as to how to fix them again afterwards that's they right just put them on a moon somewhere yeah
1: that's right yeah. yeah and that this this idea of the manchurian candidate where you had somebody who was essentially a sleeper who mm. didn't even know himself that he was an agent
0: oh they love that yeah that's a big thing in um spy movies and stuff because it was um there was that program we watched it's probably still on netflix dollhouse yeah they were like all sleeper agents weren't that's they right. and all of a sudden they just turn on and they're like murder murder <laughs> <laughs> yeah mm.
1: so it's very all very interesting um So another thing that he talks about is this pyramid structure of cults. Um, That's on page 12. And obviously, because it's only audio, I can't show you a picture of it. But imagine a pyramid um, and the top of the pyramid is Trump as the leader. And then you've got his closest advisers. And then you've got kind of Republican um, enablers, if you like, like senators and um, members of the House and so on. And then right at the bottom of the pyramid, you've got his kind of followers, his rank and file. Um, he does make the point. There's a bit more complicated because the base, if you like, some of the base of Trump. In in my view, having read the book and having you know some experience in this area, if there is an area that I I'm most sympathetic to calling it a cult, it is with his base. Hmm. I I. I think there's a lot of other things going on with the political um, manoeuvrings to try and, you know, fulfil other agendas for a lot of the politicians. They've got their own things going on and it's become uh, useful and, you know, that there's some uh, something in it for them to, to side with Trump. But I'm not sure they're enthralled to him. But I think some of the base, you know, there's some arguments there that some of them... May be almost like court um, court followers, so if there's anybody that I would say yeah that they're actually there's a court relationship then it's those mm. yeah mm. yeah, which um, is interesting though because mm. um
0: you'd think it's almost without any other knowledge, you'd think it would be the other way because they don't have any into they don't have any direct interaction with him, do you know what I mean like they just have um social platforms to hear from him but i don't think he has like dialogue do you know what i mean no but
1: again that's that's something that um the book does talk about that you know often often the cult leader is quite separate from the from the followers and that that also creates a certain mystique around them you know Mm -hmm. the more that you get to know somebody the more you you see all their flaws and foibles if they if they're very sparing in their um you know their, their interactions with you then it's easy to just fill in that gap with myth and legend isn't it and, mm-hmm. and I think that's yeah and of course the media social media and regular media uh, certainly the right wing media does a lot of that stuff um, to fill in those gaps and tell, tell the myth, the mythology of Trump which there's a big part of that actually mm-hmm.
0: um, Hey we're just interrupting the podcast quickly to do a little reminder because people always forget by the end so we're just telling you in the middle that if you want to be part of growing this community you want to have more people talking about it and to be able to talk about it with your friends then you need to share it with people
1: please like it please leave a review if you can subscribe
0: you know text a friend yeah someone that you know will like this text your dad i dare you <laughs> i'd yeah, love to yeah. know that more daughters are talking to their dads yeah. about interesting things in politics and yeah science and And
1: also if you want to reach out to us um the twitter handle is at what sitter
0: so it's what and then s-i-t-a
1: what should i think about
0: and we're pretty active on there yeah ready to have a chat when you say we dad does more of the tweeting (laughs) um but i do go on it yeah you do i do i'm getting better at it. i've been taking a while to get used to twitter it's new for me
1: yeah hassan talks about different types of cults so he, he mentions that there are Political cults, psychotherapy cults, religious cults, commercial cults, personality cults, and but he he makes the point that they're all they're all similar. They all have similar modus operandi, and they all use similar techniques to get people to do their bidding. Um, he talks about a, a, a book which, kind of tongue in cheek, has seven points or a seven point plan for becoming a cult leader. And again, there's a lot of the stuff that he's talked about in the bike model there, so these are all ways to provide evidence in Chapter Two. He talks about the formative years of trump um about his father and his mother and um the relationships he had with them um his character of sort of grandiosity exaggeration, narcissism, feeling of entitlements, lack of empathy, lying to get what you want strength always being it's about strength and not being a loser, being a winner. Mm -hmm. These are all things that his uh, niece talks about in her book. Fascinating. And you certainly see the creation of a quite a maladjusted individual. Whether that makes them a cult leader, I'm not sure, but it certainly does create somebody that is maladjusted.
0: Yeah, because I think the thing that I keep thinking about is, um, you know, potentially there are these um evidences of a bite model Mm. kind of in play in his presidency um but i just find it hard to believe that he orchestrated it or had any kind of mastermind plan behind it that's what i find difficult i find it easy to believe that he's a maladjusted man Mm. and that he had um an upbringing that encouraged you know um, a certain kind of masculinity given his age and where he comes from, mm. I find that easy to believe and I find it easy to believe that um, he thinks he has a right to things because of the way that he was raised, you know, in a um, we're, we're all raised in, well not all of us but many of us are raised in a capital sort of society mm. So, but him especially was raised around the idea of business mm. and you know, turning money into money and doing all of these things and that kind of just naturally for him extends or this is just the sort of natural progression of that. Do you know what I mean? And Mm. I I don't necessarily see it as he's just that good. Do you know what I mean?
1: I suppose, I think, you know, in our discussions, we've talked about this before, you know, listening to Trump, um, there's some people that think he's playing Four-dimensional chess.
0: I know some people are like it's a character that he's portraying in order to get support from his core base and so on and so on. But I just, I just really struggle to believe that. And again, like with, with the subtitle of how he uses mind control, mm. I just don't think he is because I know there's this idea of re- repetition mm. and using re- repetitive language in order to get people part of the sort of Cult, yeah, and um, I find it hard to believe that he's doing that mindfully, and that there's tactics behind it, and that he's not just saying China a lot. Do you know what I mean? Like it's yeah, it's well, hard
1: for me to believe. Um, that Hassan references Scott Adams quite a lot, actually. Um, I listened to Scott Adams on a podcast uh, a couple of years ago, actually, when Trump had sort of fairly recently become president, and. Um, it was quite surprising because he he described him as a master um communicator and a master at influence um and generally you know he seemed to be quite um admiring trump's abilities and and i must admit you know i've i'd never seen that as far as i was concerned he just as you say he kept saying the same things over and over again not because he was doing it in any mindful way but because he just had such a low vocabulary he just kept saying the same stupid things over and over again um
0: and just underprepared in in, when you think about other presidents or other candidates or politicians that obviously have teams behind them writing Mm. speeches and making sure that you know everything has a meaning behind it because if you think about um you know speeches and how they're created and curated to have meaning and the color of tie and what that (laughs) means and making sure that you know the Mm. shoes are scuffed just enough Mm. so you look part of the people but not so much that you look like um you know like you don't care and so on like all of these symbols and meanings and i just don't feel like he's playing that game and and you you've got to imagine that i don't know to be a cult leader of America, you've got to at least be playing that game to a really high degree plus more because they're already all doing that anyway.
1: Yeah, first of all, nice reference to the Adjustment Bureau movie. Thank you, thank you. Um, Yeah, I I suppose I'm just trying to think about the options, right? So the options are um, he is like Scott Adams and actually like Stephen Hassan are saying that he is actually cleverly using these influencing techniques like repetition um like his so so hassan talks about the use of things like confusion so keep saying or almost saying opposite things sometimes and it kind of creates a sense of confusion and the person is then open to is very suggestible then to doing something else and again um talking about people like Devin brown use that technique quite quite a lot in his shows where he kind of bombards somebody with lots of confusing information. And then they're in a state where he's able to, to make them do something that they wouldn't normally do. So that's, you know, there's some elements around hypnotism there. So I keep saying the same thing, like a lots of cults do chanting, for instance, um, (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um,
1: reference to the the (laughs)
0: top class film,
1: (laughs) um, NLP which uses a whole bunch of techniques like anchoring, mm. so sort I of keep coming back to the same thing over and over again, reframing or framing in various different ways. But um, then this is just politics as well, do you know what I mean? Yeah. But okay, let's go back to my, my original point yeah. was you know, what are the options? Either so it could be that, that Trump is actually a genius and he's he's using these techniques in mm. a mindful way. It could be that he's He's actually not very influential at all he's just saying things that actually people want to hear and they're they're already there it's just that he's a he's a beacon on which they can place their yeah. hopes because that's what they want to and, hear
0: and I think that that's important yeah to... or
1: it could be that he's so i'm going to reference another film here um, and another podcaster so not everybody's cup of tea but there's a there's a quite a famous thinker and broadcaster called sam harris famous atheist as well um but he describes um trump as a a sort of malevolent chancy gardener oh yeah so if you've ever seen that film being there which Mm. if you've not anybody who's listening to this podcast do yourself a favor get that film called being there by peter sellers Mm. but he plays a, a kind of a, a guy with learning difficulties who's basically a gardener and he's he looks after this politician's garden and by some you know kind of mistaken identity he's mistaken for being an advisor um and because he's so simple in his language you know he talks he just talks about his garden all the time yeah in the spring the flowers will grow and and they think he's being really profound. And metaphorical. Yeah. And he. so he ends up becoming one of the president's key advisors um, because he's using all these and and, and so Harris describes him as like that essentially. He's just he's just somehow fallen upon this technique. He doesn't know what he's doing, um, but it's working. Mm. And it seems to it, it fools enough people to actually um yeah to to actually get the desired result from his perspective mm. so yeah so is he a is he a genius um is he just somebody saying what people want to hear or is he is he something else is he just a mistake that mm. that happened to um to tick the right boxes
0: i think it's really important to consider option 2 because yeah. i think um the reason i think it's important is because it doesn't just put it all on this one person Mm. and that everything will be okay now that he's Mm. no longer president and i just think that there's i i just express a wish for caution on on that because i think what's for me i think we need to really seriously consider option two because if you don't then that means that you kind of think that everything will be okay potentially i'm not saying this but there's a potential to think everything's okay and now that the sort of you know mouthpiece do you know what i mean i'm trying mm. to say here it's, yeah, it's I, because i, I think I,
1: I think that's right and this is one of the the risks about seeing it as a cult you know take um, away the take leader away the and it leader. will be okay but i don't yeah. i don't think so however lots of cults once they get to a certain point are quite robust so of course you know scientology the leader dies but this it's still as strong as ever um you know the organization that that I came from jehovah's Witnesses yeah, yeah. originally had an individual who was quite charismatic and starting all up new so I think leader. once it reaches a certain critical mass if you like then then yeah others can come in and um yeah and obviously do what they want with it.
0: but th- this is what I mean I think that there was you know i I personally think that there was a there was a group that he tapped into um accidentally so i don't think he knew necessarily that that base was there like i don't think he necessarily um was super into jesus but you know he's gonna take pictures with the bible and he's gonna talk about you know american way of life and the bible now because that's his you know secure base and group yeah and i think that he's tapped into that and he's tapped into the people that like guns and Mm. you know he's there's a certain core demographic there that he's he's tapped into and stoked up potentially and fired up and maybe even has fanned them into a direction that they wouldn't have otherwise gone as quickly or um had feelings on but the whole group didn't Mm. but maybe encouraged a more
1: well you you know
0: homogenizing of the group um potentially these are just things i'm throwing out there but i just think it's important to know that those people are out there they probably had these thoughts and feelings previously but they have been united and under the banner of trump yeah. and we need to be careful now
1: yeah so if you look at the the people that were arrested and are now being arrested for what happened um at capitol hill um they are uh, alt-rights they are neo-nazis you know if you look at some of the t-shirts they had on some of the um the, the 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 things that were emblazoned on their shirts were things like um, you know supporting Auschwitz and um, supporting uh, the Holocaust and so so these are these clearly are already there as movements that yes yeah. and, and actually it's
0: not directly said stuff about like the Holocaust thing but no. they are there yeah and and that's important to note
1: and. Yeah. So chapter 6 and 7 actually talks about this. Okay. So chapter 6 um he looks at the the environment if you like that is and was present in America at the time and the groups that have attached themselves to Trump or at least identified Trump as being um, a phenomena that is in their interest to be involved in. So you're looking at the alt right. There's also the Christian right. So the Christian right have Interpreted what's happened and what is happening with Trump in a very specific way um, to enable them to support some of their own agenda. So included in that is the thing we did mention, I think, on previous podcast, Dominion theology, which the idea is that you know get Christians into the seats of power. And Hassan interestingly identifies how many people. On fundamentalists, on the fundamentalist Christian right, are members of the cabinet, members of his team, um, various different groups. He does mention them: um, Opus Dei, Catholic group, other groups that I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, there's a group called the Family. Very interesting documentary on that on Netflix. If you're in, if you've got Netflix, good to to watch that. Uh, Libertarians, QAnon. The nra national rifle association the gun owners uh and the working class a a which is obviously a huge group but a a, a section of of disaffected people um in parts of the country that have been left behind um so that there are there the, the is the, these groups have been able to attach themselves to trumpism because they find common cause they don't necessarily agree with each other in everything but they find common cause but this is how all politics works isn't it
0: yeah obviously especially i mean for england and the usa we're pretty much a two party system mm. as well in england even though there are some more independents but um you know you can't you have to pick one or the other
1: so that's that's quite interesting that there's there's groups within the states that um and I would argue that that most uh, modern—I um, can only talk about Western states because I don't really have much knowledge of of others. But if you think about Western Europe and you think about um, North America, I think there's a—you know—that there are these groups that uh, would mirror what's happened in America. So I think there is a there is a risk there that that you know the same conditions are actually present in lots of countries. Um, And it's easy to look at America and think it's they're the ones with the problem. But I think it does reflect a wider question, which we touch on when we we've got another podcast um, that may have come out before this one or after. I don't know. But it talks about left and right politics. And I think there are there are some risks in the way that we are currently um, in these silos. And perhaps that's one of the one of the enablers of the Trump phenomena is that, that we stop listening to each other and that that society stopped listening to each other entirely yeah Um, it's
0: just pick a side yeah and it's a
1: you know a lot of trump supporters i think felt that um it's all very well for people on the media you know wealthy actors and musicians and entertainers lecturing them about how they should feel about this that on the other when their jobs are just disappearing because you know China can make steel cheaper than they can you know Mm -hmm. Uh, whatever we think about macroeconomics you have to understand that that's going to have some social impact Um, somebody comes along and says you know I'm going to bring all the jobs back and you know um, we're not going to do this anymore you're going to go to work again you know of course Mm -hmm. that's in a way that's not mind control that's just giving people what they're asking for so so yeah I think the conditions were there and to be fair to hassan and the book you know it very clearly outlines actually a really good case for the 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 country being ripe for a trump figure
0: yeah i suppose um i mean that's what cults do anyway is that they on an individual basis will look for someone that's looking for something and be like i can give you that so for instance um I think it's Moonies, isn't it? They often go up young, sort of just leaving college, um, don't know what they're about to do, kind of, yeah, young adults. And they, they come and say, oh, you could be part of this thing because mm. it's a great opportunity moment to take someone in. Or um, Jehovah's Witnesses, apparently the ones that do join, it's often when they've lost a relative um, yeah. because it's a brilliant time to get someone in, isn't it? To say, well, don't yeah. worry because
1: you'll see them again yeah and Mm. I I don't think
0: that's just Jehovah's Witnesses that is other groups that have paradises and heaven and so on it's like well don't worry because they'll be back so it's just the same situation on a larger scale isn't it so you know just say it's like oh you don't know what you're doing right now don't worry because um, I'll bring the jobs back sort of thing so it's like join my club Hmm. which in this instance is vote for me but you know join my cult is just swap for vote for me because I'll give you what you want and provide you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it, it's it's definitely cults cool use that technique. They use that tactic, let's say, um, of uh, attracting people through whatever it is that they think that individual yeah. um, wants. Whether it's salesmanship, that's salesmanship, isn't it? It is. It is salesmanship, and and cults are very good sellers. They're very good yeah. marketers. Firstly. They target groups and then they sell to them.
0: Because I mean, what what do you do when you when you go into a shop to buy something? I mean, the yeah. person will ask you like, "Oh, who you know, who's it for? What's you interested in? Who, tell right. me about yourself?" Like you get yeah. you chat with them, you get to know them, what they want, and then you go and say, "Well, this is exactly what you want, and here's why." Exactly, yeah, um, exactly. And it's just you know that's kind of basic, and I I can imagine quite easily that he is able to do that because that's just business and he though people say he's a businessman, I don't know if he's actually like he has had some um massive failings it's as well. Been
1: a, I think all to all intents and purposes he's been a pretty pretty poor businessman but what he is good at is selling. Yeah. He is a salesman. I think that's what most people would um would agree with. He is a salesman. Um and um, i'll come back to that point actually a bit later on um can i just backtrack a little bit in the book because i've been yeah. sort of going through it generally chapter by chapter but we've skipped a bit because we we got talking about the environment if you like that was ripe for a trump um but chapter three uh is more about the psychology of, of people and, and why individually we are also very uh ripe for manipulation if you like there's some famous experiments, the Ash Conformity Experiment, which is where, you know, if you get a bunch of people in a room and you have, they're all confederates in the uh, in the experiment apart from one person. Mm. And um, the person at the front will say, right, I need you to say which line is longer. And there's one line that's clearly shorter than the others. Um, but everybody else thinks that's the long one. Um, apart from this one poor person who <laughs> is the only actual person in the experiment you know, what you'll find is that a lot of times, more often than not, they will go along with what they know is not true. Um, and, you know, accept the majority. And that's the social pressure that we feel. So that's well documented. We know that people tend to uh, look at social norms as being a, a way to determine what I should do next. Um there's a there's a really useful model that I talk about quite a lot called the theory of planned behavior by Ajac Arjun who again that's one of the elements that, that affects what our decision is going to be what's everybody else doing uh, the Milgram experiments which lots of people know about you know the the pretend electric shocks mm-hmm. where the uh, that they got people into to it, they they thought they were increasing the level of electricity. Um, as a kind of learning experiment right up to the point that they dial said you know very very dangerous extreme risk and so on but mm. they carried on doing it because
0: they were told to by a man in a lab coat because they were coat, told yeah. to do
1: it by a man in a white coat exactly
0: um, I mean it's even in Darren Brown's. we watched yeah. I think that came out a year or two ago now but um, when it's just you know he's just doing one of his little bits that he does and he's having a bunch of people filling out some forms yeah. and they keep, keep pressing a bell and the whole a bunch of them well everyone except the new person will stand up yeah. when the bell goes and sit down when the bell goes and they just keep doing that and eventually the new person will mm. just start joining in even though there's never been any verbalization yeah. as to you know yeah. you need to stand up when the bell goes and you need to sit when the bell goes and you know he keeps the ones that follow suit and he gets what? rid of the ones that aren't as manipulative uh, as yeah. easy
1: exactly so he's choosing the people he wants to, to take part in his yeah his bigger um, experiments, larger experiments there, yeah? Certainly, yeah. yeah actually um, uh, Hassan mentions Darren Brown in in his book as a as an example of an unethical uh, entertainer and he's, he is right of course I mean, he's, but he's fascinating he's, all it, the same. he
0: is but it is kind of like <laughs> every time we watch something by him we are like how does he get away with this yeah. because it is he is doing experiments that you wouldn't be allowed to no, do in academia can't do them academia. As
1: experiments but he does them as entertainment he
0: calls it entertainment so, yeah. but basically he's like he's just like a cowboy psychologist <laughs> Um, the guy
1: that wakes up thinks he's in in zombie world. He thinks he's in the apocalypse. Oh,
0: he's completely just like <laughs> losing his mind. Yeah. But I looked him up afterwards, and he's a t- teacher at school right. now, and he like accredits yeah. being a better person to it. But at the same time, like,
1: oh, we need to do an episode on that on Darren Brown. So let's and how let's he's not a talk lunatic, <laughs> but but still fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah, he did mention him, um, but it, it does illustrate some of these psychological. Um, tendencies we have that can easily be used in order to manipulate us um the fae the um fundamental attribution error is mentioned which i've talked about a lot um this the fact that we are we we tend to so looking at trump supporters for instance this is a good example we it's easy to say you know there's something wrong with them because they follow trump um whereas when we make a mistake and when we do something we don't blame our own character we just say oh well it's because of the situation that caused Mm -hmm. us to do that so this is this is a kind of um it's a combination of the fundamental attribution error and self-serving bias in that we always we, we blame people's character when they do things we don't like but for us we always explain it away by the situation that we find ourselves in um there's cognitive dissonance the fact that we, we work to try and reduce that dissonance. So, you know, if we're told one thing, but the evidence seems to be something else, we try to make the two fit. And that's, uh, Trump does that quite well with some of his rhetoric. Um, so there's lots of, there's lots of some of these psychological classics, if you like, that he brings in. He talks about Shine. Actually, Shine uses a model that was put forward by another really well known um, psychologist or researcher around organizations, and that is Kurt Lewin um, so it was actually Kurt Lewin who designed this model as a way to understand change within organizations and he described a process of unfreezing, then changing, and then refreezing the organization 's processes so that 's kind of the earliest change. Theory, if you like, that that modern organizational psychology came up with, but it 's been very much superseded now because the idea that an organization is kind of some stable thing that you then unfreeze and then you change it and then you freeze it again it's just not the way we see organizations now we see them as dynamic, constantly changing yeah. you know actually so I think
0: little things change all the time. It's not yeah. like you just do a big whole no. company shift um where everything changes and then you
1: but that reflects that the my main problem I have with with hassan's um theory around this is this idea that there's a an authentic self versus a cult self, and that what happens with cults is they they overwrite a person's authentic self with this new cult self and in fact that's what's happening through all these things like you know conformity and cognitive dissonance and so on they are essentially overwriting this new self over the top but the authentic self is still there and so what what people like Hassan are trying to do when they're um, counseling or when they're trying to help somebody out of a cult is they're trying to reimpose or allow that authentic self to come out now as an idea as a sort of heuristic i get that and it sounds fine but there are some problems with it because in fact right at the beginning on page 12 he talks about the authentic self as the self we are born with Mm. and that just isn't the way that certainly my studies of psychology we think of as self it's we think of the self um, as being you know something that you're it takes time to develop you know you're not yeah. born that full thing neither are you born as a blank slate no. it's a combination of your genes and your experiences but you develop yourself over years and years and even once you get to adulthood and you're fairly stable in your Self, if you like, in your personality, Things your identity. Things can happen that affect Things you can and change. change yeah, and I think that's my biggest problem with with this approach is the idea, and that is similar to this unfreeze freeze thing. In that, what um, what cults are doing, according to this model, is they are essentially unfreezing a person's personality, their self they're imposing this change upon them and then they're refreezing it again so they now carry on in this new cult self and it's people like hassan and others who will help them to reimpose back their their authentic self i'm not i'm not sure that that is really what's going on it seems to me like um we are constantly changing and and learning and developing and you know the person i was 10 years ago is probably quite different to the person i I am now
0: and if you do um you know if you think about just when when children become self-aware i mean you're not even self-aware so how can you have an authentic you when you don't even know that you're separate to the rest of the world exactly yeah that's a process you go
1: through and, and i feel like part of the reason for that might be a that um, the author Stephen Hassan is uh, a therapist, and so the the heuristic of the authentic self, I think, is probably quite useful if you're trying to help somebody come to terms with you know coming going back, if you like, to the the person they were. Um, but I would suggest you'll never you'll you'll always have something of this new you that is now part. Even if you leave that cult, mm. you're, I think you're going to be a different person in many respects.
0: I think it's natural and healthy to like grow and mm. develop, and surely you need to, don't you? So, like, current me um, will need to be, or when, when I say when I eventually want to have kids, mm. I will need to be different to my current yeah. self yeah. because right now I prioritise myself mm. and you know I'm obviously I'm I'm, I'm not a dick <laughs> um, I do like you know think about others but like you know you can be more selfish when mm. you're you know only got yourself to worry about yeah. and 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 surely you do go through a change just just to throw that as an example I think
1: so I think so uh, and the other the other slight So I said, I think one of the reasons he he has this uh, model, if you like, that's very strong in his work, and not just in this book, actually, because I've got the audio book of his his first book, which is about combating mind control. Again, a great book. I do recommend you buy it. Um, But again, he he talks about this authentic self. Um, But don't forget, as an individual, he, um, he was only in the Moonies for two and a half years. He joined at 19. He then left at well yeah, twenty two so he
0: might have an experience of himself leaving coming back re refinding right. what he was previously so that
1: description kind of sits quite nicely with his experience but for me where where do I go back to you know i you i didn't born in, i was born yeah. as a jehovah's witness i I had no identity other than being a jehovah's witness so you'
0: have to find find so I, I can't find an
1: authentic you. self that was there before because as you say i didn't even have any self awareness so yes i can i can have feelings that i am now who i feel i should be um if that's what it is yeah. fine but I, i'm i'm a bit confused as mm. to what this authentic self really is
0: and i i think again you know what always bothers me is about taking away people's agency and i think you know people have a right to um choose where they grow to mm. and have control over yourself do you know what i mean like mm. Because what if your, quote-unquote, what if your authentic self isn't what you want to be? Mm. What if your, like, natural set point or whatever this thing is that is suggested to exist isn't what you like? What if you're quite... What if you do notice yourself being a manipulative person Mm. or you notice yourself being um, quick to anger and you don't want to be like that? Do do you not grow and change or do you not... Are you not supposed to work on yourself because that's Mm. your authentic you?
1: yeah I, I think in fairness um i'm not you know, I, yeah, I'm we, we don't I, I guess you'd, you'd need to ask the, those questions to to the author and and um i'm sure he would explain um how he sees that and, and i'm 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 sure he he would say that growth is absolutely part of of the process but um but yeah i, I suppose we're perhaps getting a bit technical and maybe this is my problem rather than anything else but i, I do I do think that that undermines a little bit this, this whole concept. Although, as I said, as a heuristic, when you're counselling somebody, it might be quite useful to help them to think about their former life and who they were and you know what they used to think about things. Uh, if you've come into something, then yes, that's, that's relevant. But for me, or the many hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people were born into these groups, then that's not particularly useful for me. Um, so anyway, that's that's uh, that's one of the criticisms that I would I would have.
0: I suppose just before we move on from there as well, it's also if those people already existed and it was just tapping into them. Yes. it's not about refinding their authentic, like <laughs> that's liberal who they were self. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. they were just good old liberals who got mismatched no. up in this mm. crazy old world. Yeah. Like if we're believing that you know he tapped into a a group of people that were already there there was a base for him to tap into then mm. there's they already if anything it spoke to their authentic self
1: yes yeah, so that's a, that's a really good point and um there's a there's a a book um that he just keep referencing which is called the brainwashing of my dad mm. um and that is an example of um a guy's father um obviously getting on in years um, who was a liberal but he then watched a lot of fox news mm. and breitbart and all of that and then afterwards he was this other person. But, as you say, that's that's one case. But what about other cases where, yeah, this person's always been um, a neo-Nazi and um, has latched onto Trump because it, it yeah. furthers their their goals or it, it speaks to them because yeah. it is what they think already.
0: Well, not even just, like, the extreme of being a neo-Nazi. What about just the people yeah. that, like, you know, just the... Um, you know, really believe in like American Christian values sure. or whatever yeah. and like, yeah. you know, um they've just jumped onto it because he's promising that, you know, we won't get rid of Bibles or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Well, and you
1: know, it, he's he's savvy enough to know, as you said before, where his where he's got support and potential support. So so yeah, he speaks to that's why he stands um with a bible in his hand not not because he believes it but because he thinks this is an important base with lots of votes and certain parts of the state you know very very influential so yeah why wouldn't he do that and also of course there's there's funding there's money there's yeah. um yeah. you know so so yes he's appealing to those constituencies that are going to support and help him um but they do that already. Yeah. So these these you didn't steal their authentic no. self from them and no. provide
0: them with a new identity. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I suppose that's what I was thinking there. Yeah.
1: Um, I, I suppose we're probably coming close to the end. There's a. I think so. Yeah. There's a uh, something on page 196 towards the end though that I think is perhaps one of my main concerns, and I'm going to turn to that now so one of the things i think is quite good about this book one of the many things that's good about the book is that he does um talk about how you can help somebody who's kind of got stuck into this um as he would describe it as a cult or we could call it a movement whatever we wanted to call it um so how you can kind of help somebody out of that um and one of the worst things you can do is attack somebody and i've been guilty of doing that in the past i can think of examples where i've be much too kind of forceful in trying to debunk ideas um, but this is what he says this brings me to an important point and a key aspect of my approach by attacking or belittling Trump's followers political opponents and traditional media may be helping Trump to maintain his influence over his base in my experience telling a person that they are brainwashed that they are in a cult or that they are following a false God is doomed to fail. It puts them immediately on the defensive, confirms you are a threat, possibly an enemy and reinforces their indoctrination. It closes their mind to other perspectives. I've seen this happen over and over again.
0: Which I think is a fair thing. It's a
1: very fair thing to say, but the book is called the cult of Trump. Yeah. (laughs) Um, a leading cult expert explains how to how the president uses mind control, mm. um, and is that going to reduce people calling it a cult, therefore pushing people further away, or is it going to essentially give people who use that term a feeling that well, actually, I've got this
0: license and validity, I've got this, yeah, mm-hmm.
1: and here is some evidence. You know, there is a whole book here about it that shows that it is a cult and therefore yeah. i'm going to call it a cult
0: unfortunately um it's not something that you could loan out to somebody uh, no. that was in it because they're not going to
1: pick it up and read it well funnily enough um i, I mentioned didn't i uh on twitter when I, I got the book for christmas i mentioned that i'd got the book for christmas i put a picture of the front cover on it and said i'm looking forward to reading it and um i got a couple of interested people said oh, that's interesting look forward to hearing what you say and there was one guy that replied um in a very kind of angry way like um, it's all rubbish and yeah of a choice words yeah and uh replied, tagged the wrong person, the wrong person.
0: <laughs> just someone called Hassan <laughs> somebody yeah. some
1: random Stephen Hassan he's got, like
0: excuse yeah. me then, yeah.
1: but it kind of I think that illustrated but even before I'd I'd said anything about the book there was a lot of vitriol there about it so uh, I should say, you know, authors generally don't get to choose the name of their book. So that's or, one no, thing. No,
0: they don't choo- choose the cover, no. the art, the title.
1: Um, so that's obviously not, you know, not down to, to the author. But um, I guess it it, it emphasises some of my concern is that we are using a fairly emotive language there. And there's question marks around the validity of whether that term is actually of much value because it is so it's either something in which case we have to identify some fairly tight criteria for identifying it or it's actually nothing in which case anything can be described as a cult therefore it doesn't have any meaning and that's that's i suppose at the core my concern having said all that as i said before if you're interested in the subject of cults and you're interested in how people use manipulation techniques
0: just the political landscape of, and you're interested in that
1: yeah then it's a a good book i would recommend you buy it
0: i think um personally i don't have any issue with doing a reading on trump as a cult or like the cult of trump i don't see it as an issue taking it as a reading so um we're discussing this in our little pre-talk but obviously i did and we often talk about my media studies Mm. but i also i did a joint honors in english and media and in in english we describe um how you write an essay as taking a reading Mm. so from a certain perspective so whenever you write an essay it's taking a certain perspective and you know in undergrad you typically write from different perspectives to to learn about them and and develop and so on um so for instance i wrote an essay on, uh, I took a psychoanalytical reading of Frankenstein. Mm. Um, I don't necessarily know that Shelley was writing it mm. with those things in mind, but you can take a reading of it and you can find evidence for it in the text. Um, you talked about how you could potentially also read Trump as a mafia boss mm. or as a con man. We talked about you know, being a good salesman. Mm. Um, I said that you could also quite easily um I, I could quite easily see myself writing an essay as how trump and his presidency is the ultimate expression of capitalism and that it's not in fact that he's a cult it's just this is the final progression and
1: a logical conclusion and lo- of, yeah the yeah. logical conclusion
0: mm. of capitalism you get the ultimate capitalist president mm. do you know what i mean mm. like he was sold on being a businessman and america's all about business yeah. and being a a money-making man and machine so i think it, it's not surprising potentially you end up with that but that's just a reading off the top of my head that you know yeah. just to show that that's what you can do and i think it's interesting to engage with that and take multiple readings and you don't just have to read this one book and then decide yes or no to if it's a cool you can it's a reading
1: absolutely it's it's a great It's a great place to start um, with that conversation. Yeah, so I'm just going to read another little um, clip, this time right from the beginning of the book, uh, from the author's note, actually. He says, I have no doubt that some will take issue with what I have written. I ask you to take the wider view. I also invite you to differ with me my goal is to empower people to think for themselves which may mean moving outside of our ideological bubbles so in a way he's inviting us to 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 challenge these yeah. ideas which is great that's the spirit yeah. in which exactly. you know this podcast is all about isn't it yeah. you know what what should i think about that and rarely do we have a, a sort of definitive answer by the end because we're trying to grapple with some kind of difficult mm. big questions some of the times and other times it's fairly um, yeah. Unconsequential questions. Yeah. But there's still you know, when we' we're, we're not telling you what to think. And I think that's that's the great thing about this book. It is thought provoking and it, it gets you to think about yeah, well, well it is it is a bit like that. Yes, it is a bit like a cult. But as you say, it's also a bit like a like a mafia boss. If you listen to some of the language that he uses, you know, that telephone conversation with with the governor of georgia great example of somebody putting the putting the squeeze on somebody
0: mm-hmm.
1: um and as a con man
0: right so i've actually enjoyed that conversation i was um hmm. slightly nervous because obviously um i'm not as versed in po- politics I- i'm quite well informed but um dad does sort of live breathe sleep <laughs> eat yeah, um, politics, and especially of recent years, the American political situation and landscape. So he's very well informed.
1: I'm fascinated by yeah. all of it. Yeah, absolutely. much
0: as I said about the true crime stuff, and there's a morbid yeah. fascination with that. He kind of has a morbid yeah. fascination over the American
1: politics. And it is true.
0: The trauma of it.
1: I can tell you about yeah, political figures figures in America that. Um, their equivalents, I probably wouldn't know even in my own country. No, it's you know. kind
0: of terrifying, but um, <laughs> it went well actually. I'm glad. Good. Well,
1: thank you very much for that. Found that very interesting, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, as we always say, um,
0: please leave a comment, tweet us about yeah. this in- mm. extremely political thing, and have some sort of terrifying twitter debate and see what happens
1: yeah i mean i don't get into long debates on twitter because it's just not the forum is it you know you think we've had this conversation for an hour here and even then i feel like we haven't really got into the full meat of it because it's just really it's complicated how can you do that over twitter you know yeah but it'd be great to just get some general thoughts um maybe some yeah some bits of feedback would be lovely don't forget to uh write a review Mm to. Give us a rating. And
0: that's on iTunes. Spotify mm. is this thing where you can like vote it up or something. but mm. I don't really get it. So if vote you it up. if you know about Spotify and how that works, <laughs> do that. But otherwise, yeah. iTunes is quite simple. You just put stars and say that was good, wasn't
1: it? Yeah. So do that um, one. So keep listening and uh, keep talking to us. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.
0: What should I think about? Is an evil sheep production.